0: You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Week Ahead Podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Um... We are very guilty of not publishing any other podcasts in the last couple of weeks, but Chuck assures me that you will have one this Thursday, so uh, don't worry about that. It's and been crazy
0: apologize. busy here, you know.
1: Yeah, and we've had a bunch of podcasts set up that, for various reasons, have had to be canceled. So that's that's a bummer. But anyway, uh, Chuck, how are you doing? How was your weekend?
0: Good, really good, actually. It's um, it's kind of weird here because it it got above freezing. And we got some rain, and so it's just like it, it's. I, I don't like spring very much because it's just muddy, and you know, it, it, it's Minnesota in spring is not the greatest. And we've kind of had like a week of spring, and I just ugh. Like our our sledding hills are melting, and the ice skating rink is all messed up, and yeah, not cool. That stinks. But, you know, it's going to be below freezing all week this week. So hopefully we can
1: turn the corner. No dumps before the end of the winter.
0: You know, we're not out of winter yet. We're not out of like cold yet for like another month or six weeks. So like why, you know, this just kind of messes things up. So,
1: (laughs) yeah. So this weekend you spent some time writing a letter to President Trump on infrastructure, which you published on our site yeah. yesterday, um, tell me about that and what was the reasoning <laughs> behind writing that.
0: It makes it sound like um, I actually like wrote a letter to President. I guess I did write a letter to President Trump. I mean, it says, "Dear Mr. Okay. President," at the beginning.
1: Um, Pennsylvania
0: Avenue. Yeah. uh, You know, we've been doing this infrastructure crisis stuff since last September, and it it kind of crescendoed this year with this kind of series of of pieces we did that kind of summarized the the stuff we put together. And it's been really successful in in reaching a lot of people, and I I think we've done a pretty good job of synthesizing a bunch of complex ideas. Uh, Last week, I got an email from... a person that I have never met in person, but actually did some work with a while back when I wrote some stuff for a, a a different publication and he contacted me and said like, look, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working on the uh, I'm working with the group that was appointed by the president, uh, President Trump to uh, work on this infrastructure spending. I'd love to get your ideas in front of them. Can you send me a, uh, you know, a a one or two page write up? And for me, it's really difficult to say things in one page. (laughs) Um, uh, But I did the best I could. And what I came up with was this piece that we ran Monday. And I I feel like the the piece that we ran Monday is um, it it, it was hard for me to do because a a lot of what we do at Strong Towns is uh, – the, the way we would like to see things done as opposed to kind of the 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 practical, prudent... Well, I, I, I paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld. I don't know if you remember this quote or not. Um,
1: no, I wasn't familiar from with the,
0: it. Yeah, well, it was in like 2004 when we were first going into Iraq, or, um, the second Iraq conflict, but it was when we were going in initially. And there were all kinds of complaints about the troops not having the right armor and the trucks not being properly, you know, put together and, and all this stuff. And he said, you know, you go to war with the army you have, not the one you wish you had. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, Roosevelt said a lot of crazy things. He said a lot of, I think, insightful things too. And actually this one, as a, as, as someone who's done management, I mean, there's a certain logic to this. If you waited always until you had everything in place, Absolutely perfectly. You would never do anything because there's always more you could do. Um, I I, I paraphrase him in this thing by saying, you know, we're going to make investments in infrastructure today with the systems we've got, not the ones we wish we had. At at Strong Towns, we've always said we know we need to spend more money, but we want reform first. got to change things first. And it's pretty clear we're not going to get (laughs) – we're not going to get a lot of reform now. We're just going to spend a lot of money. So if we're going to do that what do we do? And this was my kind of compromise with maybe my uh my core um beliefs about how this should be done by saying okay if we're going to do it let's have some let's have some prudent principles here that we we try to apply. So I don't know what did you uh you read those four?
1: Yeah. Well you had the four and then at the end another three some reform another. things. Yeah.
0: I mean the idea was I I can see people like sitting around a table, picking projects, like we're going to fund this and we're not going to fund this. Mm -hmm. And to me, like if I were doing that and, and all I had was like the current system and the current project list and the current way to go about things, how would I do it? Like in as simple a way as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, you know, here's four things to me, these four things would like, you're not going to be perfect. And a lot of people have written me and said, well, I, you know, I have this thing that doesn't meet this criteria. And I'm like, well, okay, that, you know, yes, this is not, (laughs) this is not perfect. It's very simple. But I said, basically, like we need to prioritize maintenance over new capacity. You know, I would only fund maintenance projects. And if you're doing new capacity, pay for that at the local level. Uh, I would prioritize small projects over large. So I I use the example, you know, a a thousand projects of a million dollars or less. Is going to have a much greater impact, employ a lot more people, have far greater upside than one billion dollar project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's harder to bureaucratically administer, but the benefits are going to be a lot greater.
1: Yeah, we uh, talked about that last week um, on our strong talk uh, video chat when we were discussing the new Milwaukee housing program that I wrote about also last week. Yeah, and kind of talked about the way that this model of using you know funding a bunch of smaller projects has a much higher potential for success and for making a positive impact economically in communities but that bureaucratically it takes a lot more to manage uh you know 50 developers or 50 small road maintenance projects versus one huge contractor builder that's going to just do everything yeah i don't i don't know how do how do we make the case to a huge government that is trying to cut down on spending that they should you know, employ more uh, people to manage this type of program or, or change right. their form of management. I don't know how to make that case.
0: Well, and this is – I mean this is right out of Nassim Taleb's work too because you – you look at this, and there's a there 's an understandable set of reasons why governments p- prefer one big project over many smaller projects and mm-hmm. If we just look at like the professionals the you know w- we can call them bureaucrats i don 't do that in a you know in a negative way. I mean there are people who work within the bureaucracy to see these things through there, there's there's i think two big factors that weigh on them the first is there 's a certain myopia that just comes with any job. Um, You know, if you're a doctor, you tend to see things in the world in terms of health. If you are a teacher, you tend to see things in the world, you know, in in terms of teaching. You know, I I grew up with two teachers and anytime there would be any social ill at all, my parents would explain it in terms of teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a person who does projects, it, it is easy to like simplify the world down to a better project delivery process. And, you know, you have to have your stuff submitted in this certain way, and it's got to be able, you know, for ease of administration, be able to do A, B, C, and D. And, you know, that, that tends to limit the number of projects you get and the, the, the types, but it makes it easier to, to administer. The other thing, though, I, I think that's even more pernicious is just the idea that one big project can never become a, a failure. Uh, you know, you, you, it wouldn't allow, be allowed to become a failure. Mm, And you can look at ones like, you know, the big Bertha project in, in Seattle, (sighs) you know, you're, we're, that eventually is going to get done. People are going to drive, you know, through that tunnel. And, you know, we may look back and say, wow, that was a a really crazy ride. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a project that works, you know, no matter how much money we have to pour into it. And and no one's going to Go back and rehash that all the time. If you do a million, uh, you know, if you do a thousand projects that are a million dollars or less, what you're going to find is that a, a percentage of them, you know, maybe 10%, maybe 15%, are going to be just astounding. They're going to like exceed expectations. They're going to be tremendous. Mm-hmm. They'll be the bulk of them, you know, 60, 70%, 80%, that. you know, know, are adequate. You go out and fix this or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's done and you move on. Um, and then there's going to be like five or 10% that are just going to be awful. They're gonna be terrible projects They might even, they might not even get off the ground. They might just, everything might go so poorly and just be wretched as a portfolio. That's not a bad portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. A thousand projects. Uh, a bunch of which massively exceed expectations, a handful of which don't, and most of them which just do what you think they're going to do. Um, that's actually a good mix of projects. The problem is uh, it will not be like reported as a portfolio. Um, it will be you know reported and come forth as uh, you know this project was a total failure. Look at look at the waste of government over here. They mm-hmm. they couldn't even manage you know to do a simple thing. And so, what happens is that your bureaucracies start to get defensive, and they build in all these things to ensure that that kind of failure never happens again and that so you wind up with like big projects that can't possibly fail because uh, we'll just you know continue to pour as much into it until it's done.
1: If you guys are interested in talking with Chuck about this uh, letter that he wrote to the president and talking about um infrastructure spending in general, we're going to have a Slack chat on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central uh, where you can join Chuck and I'll probably be on there and other Strongtown staff members, readers, listeners. Um, So I'll put a link in the show notes to the sign up for that. But yeah, we'd love to have you join us and continue this conversation about infrastructure spending.
0: I want to, I want to mention that the last two criteria, Um, Mm -hmm. because I said, you know, maintenance, we should do, in small projects we should do, but I, also I, I think if we focused on things that were below ground and the other one was neighborhoods more than seventy five years old it, these are these are pretty they're are going to be investments with limited upside but with very very limited downside uh you know so many cities like like lafayette someone asked me you know if if you got millions of dollars to do something in Lafayette from, you know, this infrastructure surge, what, what would you suggest Lafayette do? And really you look at their core downtown, uh, basically the part of their sewer and water system that everything runs through and it's old clay pipes. It's old, like, you know, it's, it's really old, old stuff that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And if you went out and fixed that, uh, you, you may not see like spectacular growth as a result. You may not see like great things happen, but, uh, you're really going to put that city in a, a position to be able to make some good decisions in the future. If those things go bad and, you know, we spend our money out on the edge, building interchanges and, and stuff, and, and then the, the sewer in the central part of town goes bad, uh, that, that, that screws up everything. I mean, that like cascades through the whole system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we go and we fix underground pipes in old neighborhoods, uh, there's really no way to go wrong with that. There are very few ways to go wrong with that.
1: But talk about an unglamorous type of project. Yeah, no kidding. No ribbon cutting for, uh, (laughs) look out the pipes under the street. They're all better. Yeah. (laughs) That's the,
0: that's the problem. That's why it's not getting done either. You know?
1: Yeah. That was a very salient point point. and something I don't think a lot of people think about when they think about infrastructure spending. It's like roads and bridges, roads and bridges, and yeah. pipes don't get talked about nearly as much.
0: Yeah. Well, I said, you know, we should spend $5 below ground for every $1 above, and, and that might be – I could make the case for even more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the, the line that I wound up, like, teasing out of this whole thing was that, you know, small maintenance projects – Focusing on below ground infrastructure in old established neighborhoods have the greatest potential for positive returns. And I I think if we're not going to do any reform, if we're just going to go spend money in the system we have now, and we're out there, you know, picking what programs and what projects we should fund, fund projects that are small maintenance below ground in old established neighborhoods, and you'll have the best chance of success.
1: I want to take a minute to welcome our new and renewing members that joined us or uh, renewed last week. Those include Eric Griswold from Claremont, California, Jennifer Kane from Chicago, Illinois, Michelle Mabray from McAlester, Oklahoma, Andrew Malone from Brooklyn, New York, and Wendy Wilbanks Wisner from Denver, Colorado. Thanks everyone for being a member of Strong Towns.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's a it's astounding to me the when, you know, when we go through the, 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 where people are from, it's just astounding to me how we're, you know, uh, our conversation has just grown in a way where it, it's small towns, it's big cities, it's Midwest, it's coasts. It, uh, it just is really humbling every week when I hear those, the places people are from. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. The, the strong towns message is spreading and it's amazing to me how often I, I, I talk with somebody who emails about some random thing and they're like, oh yeah, I've been reading Strong Towns for years and oh, like the city council in my town is reading Strong Towns too and it's, yeah, it, it really impresses me how far the message has spread. Do you ever get like stopped when you're in public by somebody who recognizes you and <laughs> is familiar with Strong Towns or are we not at that level yet?
0: Um, I have a couple times, but it's always in... Like, you know, places where people are converging. So like once I was in the Atlanta airport. Yeah, I I was in the Atlanta airport once and I'm sitting down eating and I kind of am like a eat by myself, uh, you know, person. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, all of a sudden someone comes up to me and goes, I think you're Chuck Marone. Yeah. So we (laughs) we had lunch and it was it was very nice. Um, I really appreciated it. But yeah, you know, we're not. No, we're not. uh, We don't have paparazzi following us around. That's for sure. I was going to read you uh, uh, an email that I got yesterday and now I'm, it? I'm, oh, I, it, it was, it's, it's funny because I would say nine out of 10 bits of feedback we get are like really positive, right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And people are really excited and they're very kind too, right? They're, they're, they're really good.
1: Yeah, and even Um, when people send us a critical thing, I often finally get to the end of the email and they're like, oh, by the way, I love you guys. Like, thanks for the work you're doing, which warms my heart.
0: So here's one I got from a guy in – his name is Patrick. uh, I can't really tell where he's from. But uh, here's what he said in response to our letter yesterday. He says, wake up, Charles. You're really unimpressive. I would only, I would only share it. This means the article I wrote yesterday. I would only share it with friends if I wanted to ridicule you.
1: <laughs> wow! Uh, thanks.
0: Yeah, and then he that he wrote seriously. Do you have any theory of change? Or are you just a weak minded opportunist? Oh,
1: wow. so, what a jerk!
0: Yeah. So you know you get, um, <laughs> and I I say that you know it, it it's it's it is. Uh, I've 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 had this thought in my brain that we're. Um, you know, every idea goes through these phases, you know, where you're yeah, you're ignored and then you're mocked and then you're attacked and then you're accepted, right? And mm-hmm. I've seen us go through that, uh, but you know you, you go through it in different places in different ways. And in a lot of ways, you know I had, I had to endure the ridicule part uh, by myself, you know years ago, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. here locally. And, um, and, and then we kind of got through, you know, the ignored phase and everything. And, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of in a lot of ways in the place where it's accepted. Um, but every now and then you run into those where it is, it is roundly attacked like this guy here. And yeah, you know, I, I I think that it's all part of the, the, the process. And I, I feel like it's working to success here, you know?
1: Yeah. And when we're sending emails out to, you know, 20,000 people, there's bound to be a couple who aren't interested in what we have to say. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Maybe have a different view.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. Have you been uh, reading anything interesting or podcasting anything interesting lately? I wanted to ask you about the Underground Railroad because I started that about a week ago and you had. Oh, really? That you know that.
0: How far are you?
1: I'm about halfway. I got a lot of reading done this weekend. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm loving it. It's very intense, obviously, because it's about the slave trade and uh-huh. uh, slave escaping from slavery. But um, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, he's such a brilliant writer and very poetic uh, descriptions of things. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Colson Whitehead.
0: It's fascinating like because, um, well, actually, I did. And I, I have to say that I do, I, I do think his writing is beautiful. I mean, just like the English, you know, mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I, I think that, like his use of words is, is quite advanced and just beautiful. I think is a good mm-hmm. word. It's not my kind of book. Um, and so I, you know, I, 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 went into it thinking, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give this a try. It was like highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, not my kind of book. Uh, in the sense that I I don't read a lot of, I don't read a lot of fiction. And when I do, it tends to be like spy novels and stuff. It tends to be like guy stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, which I, I, that's a fair like critique of me. Like I, I, I read a ton of nonfiction when I read fiction, it's more like, you know, something that would be turned into a Tom Cruise movie (laughs) than, uh, than anything else. So, uh, this was a departure from that. And uh, I, I, I actually found that I really enjoyed it. It was um, – I, I spent probably the first half a little bewildered uh, mm-hmm. because it took me a while to get – this is the engineering part of me. It took me a while to get past the fact that like there could not be like, – like construction-wise, you couldn't build an actual railroad the way that it was described.
1: Yeah, yeah right it's definitely a a fictional
0: right so but
1: yet so much of what the story is telling is very true to
0: right so no so so this is where like my i I had to i had to like suppress my inner engineer and (laughs) like allow myself to be like okay this is you know this is like a literary
1: device yeah
0: yeah yeah like i have to allow myself to have a little bit of fantasy with this portion of it um because the rest of it was not fanciful, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm reading a fantasy book, like I can do that, but this was not like a fantasy book, but it had this thing that, you know, because of who I am and, and, you know, my background was, was a hard leap for me to make, but, you know, I loved it. I thought it was good. So what
1: else have you been reading lately or listening to?
0: I finished, uh, this weekend, the righteous mind. And okay.
1: what was that about again?
0: I, I, it's about moral psychology.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Haidt. And I, I, I I tell you what it's, we're in January. If this is not my book of the year, I'm not sure. Like I I'm, I'm thrilled to read whatever would be because this book was fantastic. It, he is, um, he is very interesting to me because he—I I, I empathize with the fact that he started in one place, and had this very painful journey to kind of a, a new awakening. And he—he he really hasn't changed who he is. I mean, he describes himself as a, a progressive liberal, but—but um, uh, but the insights that he has on how the mind works. And how we apply morality, and, and and how that has impacted how we talk to and and deal with each other, uh, is just so timely and astounding. Really, uh, you know the the book Thinking Fast and Slow is one that I would recommend to everybody. Okay, um, and I would summarize that book by saying, you know, every what it will do is like every page will will show you how you basically are like a monkey and everything you think, you know, about yourself, you, you don't actually know. So a um, humbling book. Well, not, not just a humbling book, but it makes you realize that like we're the things that separate us from animals. And, and, you know, we, we look at like the way plants turn into the sunlight and the way, you know, my dogs will lay on top of each other cause they're pack animals. And we look at them and say, like, you know, oh, this is just like reflexive things. But as humans, we're we're above that. We're we have reason, you know, we use our brains. We don't just do things reflexively. And and when you read thinking fast and slow, you realize that we're like ninety percent, you know, primal instinct still.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: we can override that with reason to a degree, but it still is like you know, Jonathan Haidt calls it the elephant and the rider. So we're still controlled by this elephant that like will go where it wants, when it wants. And our rider can reason with it in a sense, like, you know, have a conversation and say, maybe we should do something else. But when we're stressed, when we're in new situations, when we're dealing with things like in a spontaneous way, the elephant is what takes over. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of drives what we do. and, a lot of what the writer does, the rationalization, is just to explain what the elephant did, not to actually, you know, steer the elephant. And I, I, I was, I was enthralled with this book. I felt like I learned a ton. I actually want to go back and and go through parts of it again because it was so, um, so uh, illuminating for where we're at today as a country.
1: What's uh, what's coming up on your reading list?
0: Well, I I got evicted. That's probably going to be next. Oh, although good. yeah i'm gonna have a community. yeah i'm gonna have a hard time moving off from this one uh we're getting together next week in Chicago, yes, Uh for a, a, board, a board meeting and a staff, staff meeting yeah and i i'm i'm coming bearing gifts for everyone, so I have books to hand out and oh yeah, uh, so every everyone will get things to read.
1: Well, we will wrap it up for today, but I want to remind everyone again about joining us on Slack uh, this Thursday at 1 p.m. Central uh, to chat with Chuck and me and other uh, readers and listeners uh, to talk about infrastructure or these conversations tend to uh, take themselves in various directions. So if there's something else you're interested in talking about, um, we can probably find time for that too.
0: Yeah, and I can't keep up. I, I was looking today at like all the conversations going on on Slack right now. And it's insane. I mean, there's, we have like something like 600 and some people on there right now. And boy, the 50
1: channels, maybe 60. I I don't know.
0: Yeah. But the, the depth of conversation and the number of people chatting about things, I, you know, a year ago, I, I tried to keep up and like be part of every conversation. And I've just had to accept that. You know, I I will join when I can, and and, you know, if you're on Slack, you'll certainly see me, and we can chat. But um, wow, there's so much like good conversation going on; it's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, sometimes I have to take myself off of channels because they're too distracting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's 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 like a lot going on. I, I think my favorite part is is when people come with questions. And, you know, they're like, okay, I I just found strong towns or I'm doing this or my community's got this project. And, you know, what would you guys do? And there's just like all these people there and they're not giving advice that makes me cringe. You know, it's not like I read it and go, no, I wouldn't tell them that they're, they're saying stuff. And I'm like, yes, yes, that, that is really good. Nice job. Yeah.
1: Helping each other work through things. Yeah. It's, It's a good community.
0: It's fun to watch people, um, uh, and I say this with humility. It's fun to watch people quote things we've said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so someone will come in and say like, you know, everybody, they still get the density question all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, you know, I, I just found strong towns. I'm reading this and why doesn't he talk about density more? You know, why don't they write more about density? And then there'll be a bunch of people that will like explain and walk them through it. And by and the end, our articles. yeah, they're like, Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. That makes sense. So it's it's fun because I feel like we're in this phase now where um, everybody's, like, helping everybody get somewhere better. And it's more than just me and you. It's more than just, you know, our team. It's like, you know, yeah, this movement is growing and it's fun to watch it happen. Definitely.
1: All right, everyone. Well, have a great week, and Chuck will be back with the podcast for you on Thursday.
0: We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.